The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Last week, we've just started a new series entitled Adopted, um, and we're going to be, over the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking that um, in light of, uh, of some of other God's characteristics or other truths that we see in Scripture. Um, and in particular, what we're looking at t- today is how adoption gives us a deeper insight into the greatness of God's love. Now, we don't tend to associate adoption and love very well together. Um, if you know me, I've got uh, two brothers, an older one and a younger one. Um, and when we were growing up, we always used to play jokes with each other, um, telling each other that, we're, that they're adopted. Particularly our, our youngest brother, because you know, me and my older brother are a bit of bully, bullies. And we used to tell him, oh, you're, you're adopted, um, you know, you're not really part of this family, etc., etc. Um, and a number of, there's a number of implications of that. But one of those implications is that if he or any of us were adopted, there's the implication that we are somehow less loved than the biological children children, right? And that's the tendency that we tend to have when, even when it comes to um, our faith and, and, and being adopted into God's family, we tend to have a, a view that somehow love maybe isn't involved. But what we're going to see in tonight's passage, uh, in this morning's passage, sorry, is that that's not the case. Uh, we're going to be looking, if you have your Bibles, at Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 11 to 32. It's a, it's a story and a passage that you guys will probably know very, very well, uh, the parable of the, of the lost son. Um, and tonight, well, oh, sorry, this morning, what we're going to see is that um, love and adoption, they definitely go hand in hand. Uh, so if you have your Bible, um, I'm reading from Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 11 to 32. I'll be reading from the NIV version. Um, it will be on the screen as well uh, for your viewing. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he, defi- he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth on wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. But he, he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. 
So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This morning we're going to be looking at um, three particular aspects from this story. Firstly, we're going to see the need for adoption. The second thing we're going to look at um, is the father's love in adoption. And thirdly, we're going to look at the cost of of adoption. Um, But I'm going to um, start by opening us up in prayer before we get into it. Uh, Please bow your heads with me as we pray. Father God, Lord, we... Uh, thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that your word is alive, Lord, and it speaks today, Lord God. And um, Lord God, we pray as we explore this parable that, that you taught, Lord Jesus, we pray that you'd open up our hearts to see our own need for our adoption and to see and to get a glimpse and a deeper insight into your love that, that leads to adoption, Lord God, and, and the role that it plays. Uh, Father God, I pray that you'd guard my, my words, um, Lord, and let me be faithful to your word um, as I speak this morning as well. Uh, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first thing we're going to look at is the need for adoption. Now, a lot of us probably look at this passage, and maybe we have over our time as Christians, um, and we see the, the lostness of the younger son. Um, but what we're going to look at this morning is that we're going to see that both boys, both sons, are actually lost and separated from the father. And so firstly, we're going to look at the, the youngest son, the one that we're most familiar with. And we're honing in here on verse 11 to 16. It'll be on your screen. Now, the first thing we see is that the, the younger son makes an audacious request. He goes to his father and says, I want my share of the estate. Now, the very essence of having a share in the estate or, or having um, an inheritance means that that person who owns it has passed away. But here, the younger son is going to his father and saying, I want my inheritance now. I, I, want it now. I don't want to wait any longer. And in effect, what he's saying to his father, he's saying, Father, I don't really care about you. I don't really love you. You know, I'm done waiting. I just want your stuff. I want what you can give me. I want what's going to benefit me. And so give me my share of the inheritance. See, when we examine his heart, we see that the youngest son really doesn't love the father. He doesn't cherish him and love him for who he is. He just wants his stuff. See, the only person that the youngest son really loved was himself. He had no security in the, the love of his father. He only, only loved himself and he wanted the father's stuff to benefit himself. Now, the original listeners, the, the Pharisees in this case and Jewish people around him, would have been shocked at such an audacious request. But not only that, it's even more shocking, arguably, that the father actually gives him what he asked for. He divides his, his property and he, and he gives it to the son and the son takes it and he runs away. And if that's not enough, if that's not a a spit in the face enough for the father, we see that when he takes the inheritance, he doesn't just run off and, um, you know, live in a nice house, earn a nice, sorry, work in a nice nine to five job and, um, and all of that. We see that he spends his inheritance on wild living. This is not just, um, you know, buying a few extra, you know, pairs of shoes when you don't need it or something like that. While living here, he's talking about living a, a sinful, debaucherous lifestyle. He's spending it on prostitutes and things of that nature. So much so that at the end, he ends up having to work with pigs. 
Now, in the culture, in the context in which Jesus is, is teaching, those things would have been horrendous. To the Jewish culture, to, to be sleeping with prostitutes was a, was a heinous thing. To be rolling around with pigs, which were an animal that was declared to be unclean, was horrible. It was unthinkable. And so what we see here is that the son has not only rejected the father by taking his stuff and wanting his stuff instead of the father, the son has also rejected the father and the ways that the father has taught him to live, the ways that he would have been raised um, as a child of that house. And unequivocally here, what we see is that the son is saying, I don't want anything to do with the family. I'm, I'm done. I'm out. It's kind of like a, a child, Imagine if you can imagine it here in, in a modern context, taking their inheritance, taking the money they're given and going and, and, and living in Las Vegas, spending it on gambling and alcohol and uh, prostitutes and drugs and anything else you can think of. That's what this younger son is doing. And, and, and by doing so, he's completely severing these ties with his family. And so at this point in the story, something that we really need to understand this morning is that this son is no longer considered a son of the family. He, he's separate. He's an alien. He's a foreigner for all intents and purposes. And the original listeners would have, would have seen that to be the case. He was, he, he was rejected. Uh, sorry, he rejected the ways of his family and the, the upbringing he had. He rejected the father himself and was no longer part of this family. And that's a story that we, we tend to know. We tend to see the younger son, okay, he's separated. He's not really part of the family. But now we're going to look at the older brother. We're going to hone in, particularly at the end of this parable, in verse 29 to 30. And some biblical commentators call this kind of lostness elder brother lostness. People like Tim Keller um, in his book, Prodigal God, titles it elder brother lostness. And this is what he says in verse 29 and 30. He says, But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young, even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Listen to to what the older brother is saying. It really gives us an insight into his heart. He's saying, Father, I've been perfectly obedient to you. I've done everything you've asked. I've, 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 I've done all the tasks. I've been faithful to you, unlike this younger, younger son. I've been your slave almost. And even then, I can barely even get a small little animal for me and my friends. How can you then turn to this wayward, wretched younger son and give him the fattened calf? Which was, which was the, the biggest and, and, and the, the, I guess the best animal that they would have had. That's totally unfair. That's, that's what the older brother is saying to, to his father. It reminds me of a story when, when I was in uni, or well, I'm still am in uni, but earlier um, in one of my first years of, of uni, I, I was in this class and I had me, uh, me and myself and, and two friends. Um, and yeah, me, myself and two friends. Yeah, very good. Um, uh, myself and two friends. Um, and one of, the, one of the components for one of our assessments was class participation. So you had to answer questions in class and you had to um, you know, participate in class discussions. Um, I remember that in, that, in that, that subject, me and my, one of my other friends got, I think it was like 16 or something out of 20. And the, uh, the, the third friend, she, she didn't talk at all. She was very quiet. But on the last tutorial, she, she went up to the tutor and she started sobbing and she's like, oh, it's so hard for me to, 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 to talk and I'm so shy and so nervous. I've, I've done all the work, but I can't. And she ended up getting a 16 as well. <laughs> now, in that moment, me and my friend, we looked at her and we said, that, that's not fair. It, you know, it's not fair that we've done all these things. We deserve maybe our 16. She doesn't deserve that. Right? And the older brother's got a similar kind of attitude, saying, I've done all these things. I deserve the fattened calf if anyone was to get it, not this younger son. 
And see, what we see when we see the, the older brother's heart is we see, we see that he is also separated from the father. He, he, he's essentially saying that, that, Father, you owe me. You owe me. I've done all this for you. You owe me now. And just like the younger son, he doesn't actually really love the father. He only, just like the youngest son, only loves himself. He's only obedient to the father because he, he wants what he's going to get in return or what he thinks he'll get in return for his obedience. And so at the center of his heart is not love for the father, not security in his father's love, but only love for himself. And this is particularly relevant when we think about the context in which this parable is being spoken to because Jesus is speaking to a, a crowd which, which, would incru- which included Pharisees, yeah. people who were just like this older brother, who were seemingly perfectly obedient or trying to be so. And Jesus was, was challenging them um, and, and saying that they're, they're equally as lost. And so when we look at this parable, the first section here, we see that both sons are actually lost from the father. Both sons are are in desperate need of being adopted back into the family, being part of his family. And really, when we look at this parable and these kinds of lostness, this kind of lostness, we we see it really as 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 speaking to to, um, the lost experience of all humanity as a whole. Compare the start of this parable to back in the Garden of Eden. Here, the the younger son says, "I I want your stuff. I want to take it. I want to do things my way." And that's exactly what Adam and Eve said. They took the good creation that God had made. They took the the fruits of all the other trees and whatnot. But they said, "You know what, God? I'm not going to listen to your authority. I don't want to sit under your authority." anymore. I want to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I want to be just like you. And they ate and they disobeyed God. And they, they, they sought to, to, to be their own gods, to be the, the center of their own worlds. And from, from then, for the flow of all of human history, every single one of us has been characterized in some way by this kind of lostness and separation from the Father. And many of us, perhaps I'd say even all of us, at some point really fall into one of these two categories. Perhaps for you this morning, you're like a younger son. Maybe you examine your heart and, and you look at the way that you live, you're living and you have been living, and perhaps there's a lot of willful disobedience in it. Perhaps in your heart, instead of doing things for, for, for the love of God, you're doing things really for the love of yourself. You want to be your own God. You want to do things your way. You pursue other idols, idols of money, idols, idols of self-glory and fame, and it's all really about you. Or perhaps on the flip side, maybe you're like me, and you tend to be more like the older brother. And, and, and you tend to, to find yourself maybe sometimes, you know, praying for something, praying for good things, like a promotion at work or an interview you're about to go, go into or an exam you're about to sit at uni or school. And, you know, you, you, you pray for these things, but they don't go your way. Or maybe life has its trials that come your way. You get sick um, or you have relationship tension with those closest to you um, or financial distress comes your way and things aren't, aren't great. And maybe in your heart, you turn to God and you say, God, but I've been so faithful. Why are you allowing this sickness to come into my heart, into my body? I've been so faithful. I've been part of church. I'm serving at church now. I'm in connect group. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to my lost friends at, at work and at uni. Why, why are you allowing this to happen? Friends, if that's our heart, then I will lovingly suggest that, that we are very much like that older brother who, who thinks that, or, or seems to believe in our hearts that, we, that God owes us, that God owes us a good life or, or things to come our way. And so no doubt some of us, if not all of us, resonate with, with one or both of these types of lostness or the lostness of these two sons. And maybe even you've been a believer for a number of years, but when you examine your heart, you find your heart being tugged in one of these two different ways. And maybe even now you, you, you've, you've, you, you see that you're living in, in that way. 
And if that's us, if, if we're really trying to save ourselves, so to speak, then we are very lost from the Father and we are desperately, need, desperately in need of Him to welcome us back. But the good news of our passage is that the parable doesn't just stop with those two points. Jesus goes on to explain some more profound truths and that brings us to our second point, the Father's love in adoption. When we look at the Father's response to both of these two children, we get a deeper insight into the immense love that he has for his boys. Let's look first at the younger son, verses 20 to 24. It says this, Jesus says this, So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So there's a couple of things that that I want us to to, to really explore here this morning. Firstly, Jesus says that the father saw him, saw the youngest son, and was filled with compassion. Think about this for a moment, right? This is the same son that spat in his face, so to speak. The same son that caused him great shame and distress by taking the inheritance before he had passed away. You'd expect the father to to stand there and, and just wait for the son to come home, wait for him to beg on his knees, and then you'd half expect the father to give him a cold shoulder and walk away. But in the parable, that's not what we see. We see that the father is filled with compassion, with love, with affection for his, his son. And notice what state the son is in when, he's, when the father is filled with that love. It's not when the son has groveled enough or paid penance and, and earned his way back. The father's love and compassion goes out towards his son whilst he's still filthy and dirty and probably covered in pig feces and whatnot, Right? And we see that the father's love is so great that he causes him to be an initiator. He goes out to his son. He doesn't wait for the son to come home. He goes out to his son and pursues him and, and meets him. And if that's not enough, if that's not a demonstration of love enough, when we understand Jewish culture in Deuteronomy 21, rebellious children were, were, were told to be stoned to death. So this son had deserved absolutely nothing but a hundred stones to come his way for him to die from, from being stoned to death by his community and the rest of his family. But when we see what the father does, he doesn't give him stones to his head and to his back. He gives him a robe, a ring and sandals. The best robe was, was something that was often reserved for, for guests of honour um, in the house or potentially even um, uh, the robe that belonged to the father, the patriarch himself. And the father says to his servants, bring that robe and clothe my boy with it. The ring, that signifies sonship and authority. The sandals, servants back then did not wear sandals, right? By giving these things, the father is signifying one thing in particular. He's saying to the son and to everyone around him, that this son was now once again part of the family. He was adopting him back into the family. Not whilst he was, after he'd groveled and and, and earned his way back, but whilst he was still dirty and, and sinful, he clothed him with his robe, he gave him the ring, he put sandals on his feet. Friends, this right here is one of the greatest examples and illustrations of how adoption to God's family really gives us depth and insight into, into God's love. 
There was nothing worthy about this son anymore. He deserved nothing. The fact that he was adopted back into the family was only a testament to the love that the father had towards his younger boy. And so for those of us who maybe are resonating with the younger son and we resonate with our hearts and maybe are are tempted to outward rebellion and, and living in disobedience, the message here in this parable is that God's love is so immense, it's so deep seated and all consuming that he runs towards us whilst we are still in that lost state. Not once we've groveled, not once we've paid penance. God lavishes his love upon us in order to welcome us back in to his family, to adopt us as his own. If that doesn't give us a great insight into God's love, I I don't really know what will. J.I. Packer in his book puts puts it this way on your screen. He says, When you realize that God has taken you from the gutter, so to speak, and made you a son in his house, you, a miraculously pardoned offender, guilty and ungrateful, defiant, perverse, as you were, your sense of God's love beyond degrees more than words can express. And that's what we see in the father's love and his pursuit of his younger son. But we also see it in the way he responds to his older son. <clears throat> see, when, when the, the, the son, younger boy comes home and the older son gets angry, he doesn't come into the, the festival. He stays out, stays out of, out of the, outside the house. Now, in this moment, the father could have become angry himself. He could have been like, oh, Man, now my older boy's playing up. Now he's, you know, you know, being troublesome and, and not being, you know, reverent towards me and whatnot. But he doesn't. He heads out towards his older son. He initiates again, if you like. And not only that, but when he gets there, the older brother gives him an absolute spray. He, he says things that are so rude, so irreverent, so disrespectful to the father in his anger. Now, I can guarantee if I said things like that to my dad, there'd be a response and it wouldn't be with words. I, I would get an absolute caning, and over my years I certainly have, right? And this son, he deserved a caning. He deserved to at least have the father turn his back and walk back inside. But when we read the parable, we see that the father doesn't do that, even though it would have been his right to do so. Instead, he stays there. His pursuing love is so strong for his older boy that he stays there and he pleads with him to come in to the, to the feast, to come into the, the party. Now, interestingly, interestingly, we don't see the end of the story. Jesus doesn't finish the story, and likely that's because he's speaking to Pharisees and he's inviting them to finish the story for him, so to speak, to decide how the story is going to end. But what we see unequivocally here is that the father's love for his older son is equally as strong and deep-seated as his love for his other boy. And so if you're sitting here this morning, maybe you resonate with the older brother. You resonate with the the wrestle with anger and bitterness when things don't go your way or or doubt as to whether God loves you because things are are, are not happening the way you want um, them to. Or maybe you look at others and you think, I'm so much more deserving of something than that person. How can they get it but not me? If you're sitting with that and you're struggling with that, the parable this morning reveals that God's love is equally as strong and deep-seated for you as it is for the younger son. And the father is equally as desiring and and wanting to have you come back into the home, to have you come back home to him, to be reconciled to be him, to be free from idolatry and from legalism and self-righteousness. And so we see that God's love is so strong for both his boys, and it's an amazing thing, that whilst both of them were still sinful, whilst the older boy, younger boy sorry, was covered in dirt and covered in, 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 in all his sin and shame of the things that he would have done, and whilst the older brother reeked of self-righteousness and legalism, 
The Father to both of them extends his hands of love and invites them in. But that inevitably asks the question, how? How is it possible? How can God be so loving to such sinful people? How can God adopt us back into the family? Friends, the reality is is that it's only possible for God to lavish his love on us instead of his wrath because someone else absorbed that wrath. And so we're coming to our third and final point here, the cost of adoption. When we read this passage, we have a tendency to think that this story is about a great homecoming, as I said at the start. And it's all happy clappy and it's all a great, great new story. But there's the old adage that says nothing in this world is free. And that's true of this story here as well. In order for the wayward sons and daughters like you and I, like these two boys in the parable, to be adopted back into the family, someone had to absorb the cost. Now in the parable, in in Jesus' time, that person who would have had to absorb the costs is the older brother. He would have been expected to go out and pursue his wayward younger son, younger brother, sorry, and bring him back home to the family. I don't know if you've seen, there's a movie called Searching with, by, with a guy, by actor John Cho and a few others. Uh, it's not a super well-known film, but it is um, out there. Um, and the basic story is that this father lost his, her, his daughter. His daughter's uh, gone missing and, and no one knows what, what's happened. And as we follow the story, we said the father goes to great lengths to reach his, uh, his daughter, to bring her home. It costs him greatly. It costs him money. It costs him sleep. It costs him honor. But he doesn't care. It's worth it if he gets his daughter back. It's worth, the cost is worth, he was, he's willing to absorb the cost himself to bring his daughter home. And that's sort of what the, the older brother should have done. The older brother should have been like John Cho in, in the movie there, going and searching for the younger brother at all costs and bringing his, the younger brother home. But he doesn't do that. Tim Keller puts it this way in, in his book. He says, there is a, this is what a true elder brother would have done. He would have said, Father, my younger brother has been a fool and now his life is in ruins. I will go look for him and bring him home. If the inheritance is gone, as I expect, I'll bring him back into the family at my expense. But when we read the parable, that's not what this older brother does. We see that unfortunately for this younger brother, he's got an older brother who's self-righteous, who's legalistic, who really only loves himself and is equally in need of being rescued and saved. But friends, the good news of the gospel is that when it comes to our saving, when it comes to our adoption, we have a true and faithful elder brother, Jesus Christ. Unlike in this parable, Jesus doesn't shy away from the pursuit of of, of the lost people, his lost siblings, so to speak. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And the good news of the gospel is that whilst we were still dead in our transgressions, whilst we're still living a self-indulgent life, living for worldly pleasures, whilst we're still trying to earn our way into, into God's favor by obedience and, and being legalistic and self-righteous, whilst we're still in that state, Jesus came. God reached his hand out into humanity and, and pursued us to welcome us back home and bring us into his house. See, by sending Jesus, by, by sending Jesus to be um, our savior, the Father was, was creating a way for us to be reconciled to Him. And Jesus was obedient to that, that call, even to the point of death on a cross. And on the cross, we see that Jesus paid the price for all of our sins. He absorbed the wrath that was due unto our waywardness, unto our, uh, unto our legalistic ways and, 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 and self-righteous ways. He, he absorbed all that wrath. 
And now because of Christ's death and resurrection, the Father's wrath is satisfied. And instead of tapping his foot and waiting for us to come running down the road and grovel at his feet, because of what Christ has done, the Father can now run towards us. He can throw his arms around us, put robes of righteousness on us, to give us a ring of sonship on, his, on our fingers, putting shoes on our feet. He can extend his hand and invite us back into the, the family. See, someone has, has absorbed the cost of our adoption, and that person was Jesus. He bore the cost. And so because of, of God's great love for us and eager desire for us uh, to bring us home, Christ died for us so that we could be adopted back into his family. Friends, that's such good news. Our adoption to God's family was not just a random act. It was not just something that just happened that God just, you know, unemotionally just decided that's what's going to happen. It's because God loves us so much, so deeply, so unrelentingly that he pursues us whilst we are dead in our sin, whether we are being self-righteous and legalistic or whether we're pursuing ways of self-discovery. He reaches out and he welcomes us back in because his love is so great. And so I pray that this morning as we, go, as we continue out from here that we'll continue to meditate on that and think about that, that God's love for you this morning is so strong. No matter how uh, wretched you think you are, no matter how lost maybe you think you are, God's love is so great and so unrelenting that he welcomes you back in. Because what Christ has done, he is now, there is now a way for us to be reconciled to the Father and be with him for all of eternity. I'm going to invite the band to, to jump back up if, you, if they wouldn't mind. Um, we're going to spend like just a minute just to, to come before God in prayer. And I want, to, I want to invite you guys to just take a moment just to consider where you sit before God. And if there's things that you need to repent of, do that. Father God, Lord, we, we come before you, Lord, recognizing our need of being welcomed back. Lord, whether we're a non-believer here this morning and see our need, the need for us to come back to you um, completely, Lord, or whether we're a Christian but we see that we've strayed and we've deviated from the path and we are really living a life that's, that's really not pursuing the Father himself for who, he, for who you are. Father, we pray that for those of us, for all of us, Lord, that you'd help us to see our need. Uh, but Lord, in that need, you'd help us to see the beauty of the gospel. You'd help us to see the beauty of Christ's death and resurrection and how by what he has done on the cross, he has enabled a way for us to be welcomed back into the family, enabled a way for us to, to absorb your love instead of your wrath. Lord God, we, we thank you and we praise you for that. Father, we pray that this week and as we continue from here, Lord, that you'd help us to reflect and remember, Lord, that your adoption of us, your adoption of us into your family, Lord, is not something that's random. Lord, but it's because and, 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 and due to your, your unrelenting love that you have for us, for your people, that you would send your only begotten Son to, to come into this world, that whoever may believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, that shall be welcomed back into the family. Father, we pray that as, as we continue to meditate on this, Father, I pray that you'd really encounter our hearts to, to experience your love, not just to know it in our heads, but to really experience it in the midst of our situations and where we're at. Father, we thank you for, for your love. We thank you that we are part of your family. Father, we pray that you help us to live and rest in that, Lord, for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.